0: We are to keep all the commands given by Christ to his disciples. It's a yes or no. 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 Okay. Since God is immutable, whatever he did in the New Testament, he will do today. No. No. Now we've got to, we've got to think, what? Okay. Uh, I mean, just take for instance in the New Testament, did he did he give inspired writings? Yeah, does he do it today? No. I mean, just something so simple. Um, since God is faithful to His word, we can claim every promise of the book is mine. Da, 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 da. No, that's not true. And this one: to get to heaven, the Old Testament Jews could keep the Old Testament law perfectly. No. No, that's the impossibility. Nobody could. And so there are some times when we throw out these statements that say, okay, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then if you're saying we're not supposed to follow all the commands of the Bible, I didn't say that, but I am saying there are some commands that are for us and some that aren't. The question is, how do we figure this out? Where do we go with this? So today, if there's any one session that we're talking about that will, will be so critical in interpreting your Bible, it's what we're talking about today. So follow along as we just, if for somebody who wasn't with us last couple of weeks, let's just back up for just a brief moment. By talk, taking the Bible literally, here's what we mean by that. What we mean by taking the Bible literally, we mean that we need to understand the context at the uh, time that the message was given. That context is the language, the purpose, the reason. Does context make a difference in when we say or what we say? How we interpret it? Yeah, I've used the silly illustration in the past, it's, you know, uh, I'll use it this way Grandma almost died. Oh, you get that note and you take it out of context, that could mean a whole bunch of things. We embarrassed her so bad that grandma almost died. That's a whole lot different than she was taken to the ER and grandma almost died. Totally different context, right? Same statement. So we need to understand context. That is critical. Number two, we remember that God, the way God talked, is the way people talk to one another. God God used um, anthropomorphisms. God used similes. God used parables. God used exaggeration. God used poetry. God used humor. God used a whole variety. Did he use local expressions? Yes, he did. Okay? And so we need to understand that. In fact, let's fool with this for a bit. Do words in our day, do they change compared to 100 years ago? Can you think of words that have changed in the last 50 years? Gay? What's that? Chad? Chad? (laughs) Okay, let me throw a few up here, okay? Have these words changed over the last 75 years? Well, let's just take it simply the last 30 years. Cell phone 40 years ago would have meant what? A phone in a jail cell, probably. Okay. Um, Crack. Does crack mean something different to modern generations than it did a few generations back? Yeah, it does. Okay. Scanner, software, LCD. Um, There's a whole variety of things that have totally changed. I mean, years ago, if you'd said Apple... It's an apple. Okay, now today when you say apple, most of us either go to the fruit or we immediately think, yeah, the, you know, the software. And so words change. Even in different countries that speak the same language, words change. Let's do the quiz. Okay, this is taking words that are used in Britain and, you, and what do they mean in the United States? What, what's the, the comparison? Uh, for biscuits, what's that mean in our, in our speech? Okay, we're talking cookies. Okay, if we say headmaster. Okay, we're talking basically the principal. Okay, if we say Laurie. Okay, okay. We don't use that same. Swede. It's not the nationality. Rutabaga. Okay, so it's... De- uh, when we're in... When we're, <laughs> when we're in America and we say apartment, what do they normally say in Europe? Okay, Okay, uh, when we say gas station, okay, okay, garage or petrol petrol lift, yeah, we're talking an elevator, chips, okay, potato chips, okay, um, I, think, I think if I'm not mistaken, in, in a lot of Europe they call these what, mobiles? Okay, um, So do terms change in different culture, times and different countries? The answer is yes So if I'm studying the Bible, I need to understand what was the wording, what was the approach when the Bible was written is critical And so we're getting a, a wraparound up here Stacy, I don't know if that thing is on but it's starting to sound real hollow and distracting up here. We need to understand that the clear teaching of the Bible is in sometimes hard sections is helped by going to the clear passages we, we t- ended up last week talking about this. There are some difficult passages, and for you and I to say oh they 're not that difficult that 's foolish and it 's not honest hebrews ten hebrews six they 're difficult passages um, when he 's talking and paul 's talking about his own baptismal experience in acts twenty one or twenty two he makes comment about it, and if you just take it out of out of that verse alone, you say, Wait a minute, is there such things as baptismal regeneration. Well, how do you interpret that? You go by the other passages that make it clear. Some will run to Hebrews 6 and say, oh, it's got to mean that, or Hebrews 10, that we must lose our salvation. Well, that doesn't work with the preponderance of scriptures that indicates we can't lose our salvation. So that interpretation is a faulty interpretation based upon the other passages. And so the Bible helps to explain even those difficult passages. Number four, when we're saying we're literal, we seek to what does it mean to the original audience before we make applications to our day. What was he saying to them? Once we know what he's saying to them, now we can make application to us. We. Illustrated with these, drinking a little wine for your stomach. You have to understand culture. They didn't drink water, okay. And so he's talking, and, and often wine was medicinal. When greet one another with a holy kiss, okay, that works in some cultures, but in America, well, how would we practice that? Pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, giving your daughter or not giving your daughter in marriage. In First in Corinthians seven, it's an advocation that you don't give her in marriage. Withhold not correction. I ended up talking last week that. You know, that whole idea of, you know, the rod, and if you beat your child, he shall not die, even though I add, he sounds like it. Um, and so, you know, when we read that phrase about beating your child with a rod, in American culture, we find that harsh sounding. Most of us, oh, I wish it didn't say that. But if you understand where they're coming from in their culture and what they meant by that, that's a whole different perspective. It's not abuse. It's just a firm discipline. In, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, he wraps up the chapter and he says, Forbid not to speak with tongues. That is true. At that time, he told them, don't forbid to speak with tongues. Does that mean now that that's applicable today? No. Other passages have made it clear it is not something that is still valid today. And so there would be opportunity to forbid to speak because we are now in a different uh, time period where tongues are no no longer validated. And so we have to understand context. We have to understand the background. We also need to know that God gave certain sections, commands, promises, for certain people at certain times. And this is is so important to understanding your Bible, that not every promise, not every command is for me. Not every command that says, okay, um, the command to um, uh, uh, marry your brother's widow and raise up children is that an applicable command today? Hope not. Yeah, okay. And so there's there's different commands that you have to look at and say okay, where when and where who was he speaking to? And yet all of this, all of the not all the Bible is for me to practice today, but all the Bible is profitable in giving me instruction. And that's not a contradiction. From the stories, from the illustrations, I can learn principles. But I may not have to follow that exact com- the commands. He tells them to go out, go and wipe out the unregenerate people, the Canaanites. Are we supposed to go out and kill all who aren't Christians? No, it's a different command for a different era of time. And so we can understand it and understand that what we live and how we practice our faith, we have to look at the commands that are applicable to us. And so here are some of those problem passages that people have. Uh, The foods. If we were to go through the Bible, we could find a variety of different commands about different foods to eat. And the question has to be, which one is for us? Okay, let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. where They weren't supposed to even eat of meat at that time. They were supposed to only eat vegetation. Well, some people grab and say, see, this is what the Bible says. We're supposed to only eat vegetation because that's what it says in Genesis chapter 2. Well, wait a minute. Then in Genesis 9, it says everything, everything that moves, you, bugs, <laughs> you know, whatever moves, it, it's going to be food for you. Oh, okay, so now I can eat anything. But then, in the book of Leviticus, all of a sudden he says there's clean and unclean animals, certain animals you were not supposed to eat. Well, wait a minute, can't God make up his mind? Well then we come to the New Testament and in the New Testament he says there's going to come false teachers that are going to come at a certain time and they're going to tell you to abstain from meats, whether it be on certain days or whatever. But God says okay, what we need to do is understand that nothing in this time period is to be refused. So we go back to the question, which one of these do we live by? They're all from the Bible, are they not? They're all found in the Bible. Well then, since it's found in the Bible, it's valid for me. It can't be. It can't be, or you have all these contradicting statements. And we said that God's word doesn't contradict. Are we to make animal sacrifices? Very clearly, animal sacrifices were done in the Old Testament. If you say, well, from the beginning of the New Testament, they were no longer validated. That's not true either. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were still making the sacrifices, And they were still validated at that time. You say, well, no longer are they for today, and never again are we to make animal sacrifices. Okay, I buy that to a degree. However, we read that in the kingdom they're going to make animal sacrifices. So which one is it? What do we do? How do we interpret this? Do we just randomly pick and choose which one is for us today? Well, some have established whole faiths. They said they had Old Testament priests, therefore priests are still valid today because they're found in the Bible. Uh, let me answer the question. Are priests found in the Bible? Yes, they are. Are they valid for today? Okay, well, then how do we know it's not valid for today? Immorality. Spouses in immorality. Under the Old Testament, you could stone them. But in, the, in, in, um, in Jesus' statements, and then in 1 Corinthians, he's saying divorce. Okay, so which one is valid? Can you stone your spouse? Some of you, your eyeballs just went up with an idea. Okay, Okay, so where where does this go? Where do we do baptism? Baptism. Okay, they say okay, and there's whole we we talked about this last two weeks. There's a whole theological approach that says baptism was the same as Old Testament. Circumcision and the Old Testament circumcision brought people under a covenant, so that they could hear the faith and they could be exposed to the faith. And so they teach, and still do. They still teach that um, that what it is is infant baptism is valid because they they infant circumcised and they're the same thing. Is that true? Okay, how did, how do we, where do we go with this? Is infant baptism valid for today? Since if infants were circumcised in the Old Testament. So there, there's all these different areas. Okay, in the Old Testament, David says this. David says, remove, what's that? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Okay, which implies What? He's got the Spirit, and the Spirit could be removed from him. We know that it came and went on people, but Jesus said he'll abide forever. Okay, so the conclusion of some people is we can lose our salvation because the Holy Spirit could come and go on people in the Old Testament. And they said they can prove it from the Bible. Well, if that's their thinking, yes, you can. If you just say, if it's in the Bible, then it's therefore valid for us today. Well, then you can make the Bible do all kinds of... Then you can have a priesthood. Then you can have female preachers. Then you can have a wide variety of things. Then you could say, I'm only supposed to take the gospel to the house of Israel. That the way I test an unfaithful spouse is we mix the water with different types of minerals, and you have the wife drink it. And if she survives, she's been loyal. Okay? That's numbers okay is that what we're supposed to be doing today the idea that is sabbath worship was sabbath worship found in the bible the answer is absolutely it was is it for today well if it's found in the bible it must be for today really really that, that's, that's going to be that's going to pose a whole difficulty of, of your interpretations and I hear this all the time there's, there's reason for women preachers it's validated because Deborah led Israel in the Old Testament she and Miriam were prophetesses therefore there are female preachers today and they're good and they're proper because they had them in the Old Testament okay those same people I'll ask the question do you take cows to church with you and they'll say, no, we don't do that because you don't need to sacrifice. Well, you're grabbing one area that you want out of the Old Testament and you're saying it's good, but you're ignoring part of the others. So, How do we know which one it is? How do we know where we go? And let's go back to our statement. There are commands and practices we are no longer obligated to go by. Okay, that's a, that's a fact. But those sections of scripture can still be helpful in giving us illustration, giving us principles about obedience, about holiness, uh, about inner relations with God or with other people. And he said these things were examples to us, that they were warnings to us, they were helpful. But our question is, how do we determine which commands are valid for us today? Do we just randomly pick and choose what are easy? I'm going to contend this, it is not that hard to figure out. This is not that difficult. It is not something that's done by random choosing, by traditionalism. Well, I see the, you know, so-and-so does it, therefore it must be good. That's not our standard. It's not other people. We go by God's word. There is a systematic way, a very consistent way of looking and saying, okay, I'm going to approach a Bible with this standard of understanding. I'll apply it to the New Testament and it is very consistent and very appropriate to help us figure out which one of the commandments. And it's so much worse. You cannot say, well, if it's Old Testament, it doesn't, you know, it's not valid. Well, part of the New Testament books are still under the Old Testament law. Yeah, and so there's a systematic way. It is talked about in the book of Ephesians. And so let's head there in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. And this is so critical. There are people who will go out and say, oh, what I'm going to teach you right now only came up in the 1800s. That is so erroneous and dishonest with history. Because Ephesians was written before the 1800s. Darby wasn't the first one that came up to Ephesians 1 and chapter 3. It came in this text, Paul is writing, and he is talking about dispensations. He uses the term. He uses the phrase that, that we would use. And it's the idea that comes right out of scriptures. So let's look at it. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says in verse 10. Now I'm using King James. You might have different rendering, and you might have such things as stewardship, or time period, or era. Here's what my King James reads, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, he's talking in verse 1, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me to you word. Those two times he's using the phrase. He's using the wording. He uses the word that means, the word is oikonomia in the original language. He's using the word that has stewardship for a period of time. In fact, in the New Testament it shows up sometimes as steward. Uh, It shows up even in a parable. If you flip over to a parable, hold your finger here and go to a parable, just to give you an illustration of what it's like. In Luke chapter 12, he gives a parable, and in this parable, he's talking about stewardship. He's talking about individuals who, who are given responsibility. This is one you all know. But Luke chapter 12, just turn there. And he's going to talk about in verse 42. An oikonomos, a, a steward. In Luke chapter 12, go down to verse 42. The Lord is giving this parable. Who then is that faithful and wise? What's your Bible read? Steward, okay, it's economas Whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays His coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and the maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken. The Lord of that servant when will come in a day when He's looking not for him, and in an hour when He's not aware, and He will cut him asunder, and will appoint him His portion with the unbelievers. That servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. So there's responsibility based on knowledge. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much shall be required and to whom men have committed much, of whom they will ask more. Okay. Taking that parable of a steward in relationship to his master, what do we have? What do we have in this dispensation, this uh, stewardship that's given to the man? What, what aspects stand out? Let, let me just give you, there's a set period of time. The man is put in charge for a set period of time, while the master is away, in this case. The uh, specific responsibilities have been given out. The steward is to take care of the other servants. He's to guide, direct, feed. He has responsibilities. In this case, it's, it's taking care of the servants. There's a time period for him to act, to obey or not obey, to do what he's supposed to do or to be lazy. And so he's got a time period, responsibilities, he's got enough time to fulfill his task. He has a choice. He has a choice whether or not to obey. He's, I'm going to throw it out as a test. Okay? Even the temptation comes there. Should he take advantage of others? Should he start, you know, thinking he's the hoi polloi of the group and, and beat them? Well, that, that's the test. That's, that's what's happening here. There's going to come a time of accountability. The master returns and he's got to give account. He's got to answer for what he's done. He's going, to ha- he's going to be, you know, held responsible. Did he obey? Did he not obey? And then based on that, there's a reward or punishment. That in this, for this period of time that you were told to do something, do it or don't do it, and if you do, you're blessed. If you don't, you're punished. That's, that's a stewardship. That's responsibility. By the way, does this happen at your work? In a very broad sense, is this like going to work? You're given jobs, you're given responsibilities, you're given a time to do the job. If you do it well, good. If you don't do it well, it's going to be bad for you. It's that same idea. It's that, it's that stewardship responsibility given to you. That word then shows back up, and we have that whole idea coming back in Ephesians 3. Let's do this backwards. In Ephesians 3, where he's going to do it, let's see if we see any of those similarities. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, he is talking in this passage, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God toward, that's given to me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Um, He's talking in Ephesians 3, 3, he defines it as the dispensation of grace, a stewardship, a time period where grace is predominant, or he's going to use that terminology. In Ephesians 3, go down to verse 5, he talks about and doesn't use the word dispensation, but he uses another phrase that gives indication of time period. What do you have? which in other ages or other time periods. And he mentions it, and and by the way, the other is it's not the exact same time period. There's a difference here. In Ephesians 1, we already read, he uses the phrase dispensation or time period of the fullness of times. Now, if we dissect these phrases, watch what happens in each one of them. Okay, that he's talking about and he's implying in there there's at least three different eras of time that are different from one another. Okay, that's the implication that we have from Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 1. Let's, again, let's dissect Ephesians 3. If we were to take phrase by phrase, word by word, what do we learn? We learn in Ephesians that in this dispensation of grace It was a time period, it was responsibilities in operation at the time that he's writing. He's using present tense verb. He's saying, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is, right now, given to me towards you, that I'm passing on to you. We know that the details of this dispensation were given to Paul. He was the one passing on. Remember, in a dispensation, there's responsibilities. There's there's, uh, information being passed on. They're, They're told to do certain things. Well, God is passing on the information through the Apostle Paul to the believers, okay? And he's giving them to the other people. So he's giving them information that appeals or applies to the dispensation of grace in particular. He also says that prior to this time, it was something unknown. It was a mystery, that they didn't fully understand. They didn't, they didn't, it, it, it didn't make sense to the individuals. And it wasn't something that was revealed in previous generations. That he says it's a revelation that he made known unto me in a mystery. So revelation, new revelation, with responsibilities given to Paul that were not given out in previous time periods. And it's given to Paul and he's passing it on to the church in, in Ephesus. And it, he says they didn't understand it previously. There was some things that didn't make sense to them before this point. But now it is being revealed by the apostles. He makes that comment in verse 5 that is revealed by the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so this information is unique, Paul says, to this time period that's going on right now that the apostles and I are relaying the information to you. There is something that's unique about it. If you look at verse 6, verse 6 says this is the unique characteristic. The Gentiles are now fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise. It is a time period with responsibility that includes both Jews and Gentiles being on the same par. Were the Jews and the Gentiles considered on the same par prior to, let's take it all the way back to the life of Christ? Were they considered on the same par? No. No. Were they through most of the Old Testament era? No. No. In fact, if a Gentile wanted to become converted to God, what did he have to become? A Jew proselyte. Okay, now in the time that Paul's writing, do the Gentiles have to become Jewish proselytes? No, they don't have to become Jewish. What do they become a part of? The body of Christ. And in that body of Christ, there is no difference between... Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, or master and slave. And so he's talking, he's saying, we're living in a unique age, Paul says. A, an age that is, that is something different that's happened in the past. Something totally different. Now, let's, t- let's go a little bit further. You and I would conclude, it's called the age of grace by God. Okay? We also know it as church age, the body of Christ's age. That's our common term that we put to it. That This is a time period where the entity that he's working with is the body of Christ, the church. Now, jump down a little bit. Chapter 3, and he refers to another age, a a different time period, a different dispensation, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, unto the Holy Apostles and Prophets by the Spirit. Okay, let's just dissect it again. It's an age before the age of grace. It's something that's been in the past, he says. Something prior to the church age. They didn't have the same truths. They don't have the same revelation. It wasn't given to them. It had, it had different information at that time. The Gentiles did not participate during that time period. Okay? What obvious time period that we know of from studying our Bible is he talking about? What came before the church was started? What did they live under? The law. The law. We would call that then the period of Mosaic law. Okay? Moses' law. That that's a time period that was unique and distinct from the church age. Now, let's, let's go a little bit further. Okay? Oh, by the way, just, just to throw it out. Okay? We're talking about an age that, start, that started with Moses. Okay, and I want to just throw this up for you. Okay, Moses living around fourteen hundred, all the way up to about the death of Christ, thirty. So we're talking about fourteen hundred seventy years, something like that. And then the Church Age started. How, you know, most of our Bible, our Old Testament Bible, is written during that time period. But there was still a whole lot of time before that. We'll come back to it in a moment. Okay, in Ephesians one, go to Ephesians one. In Ephesians 1, he calls it the dispensation of the fullness of times. Let's dissect it. Let's see what he's talking about here. In Ephesians 1, verse 10. In the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Okay, when is this? Looking at the verbiage, when is this? Past, present, future? It's future. He's using future verbs. It's the idea that it's something future to Paul. It is beyond his, what he is living at that time. As well, it is a time when all believers are united together in one entity. Okay? Are the believers physically united in one entity now? No. No. Now, some churches claim that they are, everybody who is, is a believer has to be a part of their church. Okay? But in the New Testament, we don't find that to be the case. Okay? Not all believers gather together in one. When is it going to be that all the believers are gathered in one time in one place? Okay? We're, we're talking the future. We're talking in that kingdom age. You call it paradise. You call it millennium. We're talking somewhere in the future. A time when all believers will be together with Christ. Okay? And so he's pointing to a time period where they're physically gathered with Christ, a time when there will be, look at verse 10. Verse 10, he even makes that comment. He says that, that everything will basically be together, both in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, and in whom we have obtained the inheritance, etc., etc. Everything's going to work for his glory. Does, there's going to be changes in creation, there's going to be changes in, in social activity. Okay? Is everything in harmony right now? Does nature work in harmony with us? Are there conflicts with us in nature? Yeah, okay. But he's saying there's a time period where it's coming, and so you start thinking, well, when is that time period when Christ is with his believers, everything's going to work in harmony? We're talking kingdom. We're talking that time period where he introduces the kingdom to the earth. Now look at the text. The text in Ephesians talks about, this isn't his primary focus, this isn't his primary doctrinal statement, but he is saying in the midst, just assuming the believers understand this, that God has divided history into different epochs of time, different dispensations, and in those dispensations, God has given different responsibilities for people to carry out during those time periods. They, they might have a little bit of overlap, but for the most part, they're going to be distinct. In that period, that's called the law. Really, there was a lot of distinction between the Jews and everybody else. Oh, by the way, when Jesus says, go and preach the gospel to the... Initially, he says, go and preach it to the Jews only. What time period is he, is he still in? He's in the law. Then when he says, now, after I leave, I want you to go and preach to all people. Now expand it. What, what is he looking forward to? The dispensation of grace in the church. So you, you can see how it just, oh yeah, okay, it starts fitting together. Now your time periods for this is kind of interesting just to throw it out there. What is so far in history of those three time periods that are mentioned in scripture, which, which one's the longest? church age so far is, has outlasted even the old testament the old mosaic law that we're the long period for right now and so it's giving us information now here's here's a question for you let me throw this out okay i very clearly said mosaic law okay so we have to ask this question there are three epochs of time there are three dispensations three different periods of time that are listed in ephesians could there be more there's an obvious answer to this and the answer is yes how do we know there had to be more than three there had to be something before the mosaic law there had to be right i mean when did he start working with the jews under what man abraham he started what did what was what was there for people before that time there wasn't it wasn't this distinction Because there wasn't a Jewish nation. So the the obvious answer is there had to be something before the law was given. There had to be some responsibilities given. There had to be some God rules in effect for people during that time period. So we know there had to be at least a fourth period of time that they had responsibilities. So, So that section of Genesis that is very small... You know, right around from chapter 1 up to, you know, until we get through the end of Genesis and we start introducing Moses. But early on, even before he's working, there's there's a whole bunch of information. It's a long period of time, but it's only the book of Genesis that explains it. And there were certain rules given. Let's back up. Let's go all the way to the Garden of Eden. Were there certain God rules given to Adam and Eve? What were they? Don't eat the fruit. Take care of the garden. I'm sorry. Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. Do we cover them all? So, are all those commands for us today? Should we avoid that tree in the Garden of Eden? The answer is, we don't have that opportunity. Right, it's not there. It's it's not there. Okay. Uh, oh, and they were supposed to tend the garden. They were yeah, and subdue the earth. All those things. Okay. Uh, do some of the other responsibilities. And by the way, could we learn lessons from Adam and Eve? Oh yeah, yeah. We can learn how to Satan attack. You know how important obedience is. So it's got advantages. But are the commands explicit for us today? Let, let's go forward. Okay? I've given you, a, uh, given you some traits of dispensations. Just to remind you, as you go through your Bible and say, okay, how many were there or what are, where are they? There was revelation given. Okay? Revelation that included responsibility. So God is telling them, here's what you're supposed to be doing. Here's the job that I've given you. The people are tested, just like the steward. They have an opportunity to do right, opportunity to do wrong. They're going to have failure or success. By the way, Adam and Eve were they were they told what to do they were did they have a test they did did they succeed or fail they failed okay then so there's accountability adam where are you okay and so there's a, there's an accountability and then when there's accountability there is either one or the other reward or punishment okay you know, and in in these cases god always provides for them god always takes care of he just doesn't desert them for adam and eve he gives them punishment but what provision did he make for adam and eve to continue on with new responsibility do you remember what he just very simply pictured for them by slaying an animal and doing what yeah, he made a sacrifice and he said, okay, this is the way it's going to work in the future. Sacrifice for worship me, because you're not going to walk with me in the dew of the day anymore. So I still want to provide for you, and I'm going to provide salvation for you if you believe. And so then there's new responsibility given. And it's very clear when we get to their children. Their children knew that they were supposed to make sacrifice. In fact, they even knew what sacrifices to make. Yes? No? Cain and Abel? Yes? No? Did they understand did Cain am I am I mixing them? yeah did Cain understand that his sacrifice wasn't a good one yes or no it's not stated it's not stated what he was supposed that god said here's how you do it but he knew he knew that he wasn't doing things right so God had obviously given them that knowledge, revelation, responsibility, and it goes on. Okay, you can go through, and here is the here is the I'm going to use the word traditional. This is the most commonly accepted said that, that Bible students will say. Okay, there's multiple different dispensations, taking some of those standards of new revelation, new responsibility. There's probably what you know, probably four that preceded the law that innocence that would have been in the Garden of Eden. Then uh, the conscience, at, uh, Cain knew in his heart what was wrong. And then men were, men were not able to control their own conscience, so God established human government you know, that says, okay, uh, you're going to have to obey, but human government got distorted. Remember what men did with human government as they were trying to order, you know, take order and take care of you know, organizing things? All of a sudden, what did they do? What did they build? Yeah, in human government. And and instead of spreading through the whole world, what do they decide to do? We're going to reach, stay in one spot, and God has to scatter them and work with them. So there's time periods where God is working, giving different responsibilities. So with this in mind, here's where you go. Okay, here's what we end up doing. You and I say, okay, we have to look and say, what rules for practice and expression of faith Faith without works is dead. Okay, how do we express our faith? Which part of the Bible do we look to? You look at this chart. Which part of the Bible should we look to first and foremost? Grace. We should look to this one. Why? That's where we're living. That's our responsibilities. Okay, so I'm going to jump into the book area of grace. And in this time period, does it tell me about what day of the week to worship? The first day of the week. Oh, well, they worshiped in the old... They worshiped back here... Whoops, i losing my battery, I think. I'm losing everything. Okay, in the law... There it is. In the law, did, what day of the week did they normally worship? The Sabbath. Okay, so we say, was the Sabbath legitimate? It was. For when? For them. Okay? It, it was... It was, to, was making animal sacrifices legitimate yeah for who for them, okay, but we don 't need to anymore because Jesus replaced it. Oh, by the way, in the kingdom, will there be animal sacrifices? The answer is yes, why, in memory of what Christ did, kind of like what what do we do that that is in memory of Jesus? We do communion, okay, what about baptism? Did they do any type of um immersion, cleansing? In the old, in this time period, yeah, yeah. But even John's disciples were told, "Wait, it's changed. It represents something different." And in Acts 19, what happens to John's disciples that have never heard of Christ and baptism? They have to get rebaptized, okay, because of it, the picture is different. And so, okay, when we go back and say, "Were there priests at some time?" Well, I know there was priests in the law, okay. Were there priests in Abraham's day? Yeah, do you remember his name? Melchizedek, yeah, that he goes to. Okay, they were valid at that time, that you would go through a a human person to be your mediator. Why don't we have it today? Christ is our mediator. He opened it up, and he makes it. By the way, as time goes by, he makes it, he gives us more ability and opportunity to do what's right. How do we have so much more than they did back here? What do we have? We have a complete Bible. What do we have living within us? We have the Holy Spirit within us for how long? Forever, okay? We have the body of believers that isn't just at a temple, but we can gather anywhere, a body of believers. So for us, it's kind of like, I'm going I'm to say it in, in tongue-in-cheek. He's dumbing it down so we can become successful. But at the same time, he's raising the standard, okay? And so there's going to come a time, by the way, do you remember what the failure, what happens here? We're raptured, and then there's the huge, great worldwide apostasy that leads into the tribulation. And so it, it's, it's a, it, a systematic way that you and I approach the Bible and say, well, what commands are for us? Very simple, very easy, very understandable and very consistent. Very consistent, and but and you know what? The best part about it, it's stated in the Bible. He says it in the Bible that this is what he was doing. He tells us very clearly in the Book of Ephesians. This is this is how I've arranged things. So people who come up and say, "Oh well, this is this is you know, what you're doing is you're coming up with something that's modern." Yeah, I guess so. If you if you consider modern Ephesians. And this is a very simple method of Bible study, but it makes all the difference to understand what area of the Bible. So as a church, if we're going to look in the Scriptures and say, which portion of the Scriptures is so important for us to study and know, it's all important, it's all beneficial, but if there's any area that we've got to be really expert on, which area should it be? Which area of the Bible? Not just New Testament. The Epistles. The epistles, because they explain what our responsibility is during this age that we live in, the church age. It is critical. Now, are the other portions of Scripture beneficial? Absolutely, absolutely. But you, you ought to be experts in the epistles to know what are you supposed to be doing. What? How do we show our faith? What are the works that are required? And so, let me just back. Let me just give you a summary and and wrap this up. Here are dispensationalists as a whole. Here's what the, those who would say, okay, theologically I'm a dispensationalist. Here's a basic um, identification mark. You would know they're dispensationalists if they hold to these types of things, okay? Uh, and, and they're not unique to dispensationalists, but these are those who are dispensational. This is what they are, okay? They're going to say these basic tenets. Okay, let me see. Machine, you working? Did I just lose my battery? Oh, this is not good. Can you give me a, give me a forward? We have to get this worked out. Is that you or is that, that the machine? You broke it? Is that what you said? You broke it? Okay, why don't you uh, reboot that thing? We were having problems with it early this morning when I came in. It was giving us problems. I'll just give these to you out of my notes if I can find them. Okay, the basic tenets of dispensationalism. Okay, here's where we, as dispensationalists, we're going to say this is it. Number one, based on Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Remember what it says? All things are created and are for your, oh, wow, are you good. Okay, (laughs) it's working. Man, Eric, you are amazing. Okay, the glory of God is always the universal goal. Okay, that's the responsibility. It is all about the glory of God. Number two, we're going to say this. Everyone is saved by faith. Abraham was saved by faith. Sarah was saved by faith. Adam and Eve had to be saved by faith. Okay, now how they showed that faith was different, but they're saved by faith. Everyone is saved by faith and for, uh, in God providing forgiveness. Everyone is required of all ages to require, to show their, their faith by some prescribed method of conduct. Okay, in all ages whatever that is, okay, bring sacrifice, the sacrifice with the right attitude. By the way, when you, when you go to that story of Cain and Abel, uh, some will debate whether it was the um, um, material that was sacrificed or his attitude, okay? And so, um, you know, definitely attitude is involved in that one. Um, everyone of all ages, they had to show you know, their their practice. Um, the, this, is, this is probably what distinguishes dispensationalists from every other, every other approach systematically. They view the church in Israel as distinct. The promises given to Israel will be fulfilled. There will be a kingdom, a physical kingdom. Israel will be the exalted nation. But that, that church didn't replace that. Now, will we participate? Will we, are we children of Abraham in the sense that we are beneficiaries of some of those, those benefits of the kingdom? Absolutely. But God did not make a covenant with Israel and pass it on to us in the sense that we get we, get, uh, we are the new Israel. And, uh, and when you read in the New Testament, Israel every time in the book of Revelation, it means us. Okay, and so um, this is critical in understanding the book of Revelation. The church isn't in the book of Revelation beyond chapter 4. And so, uh, you know, what's happening there is applying really, uh, literally applying to the restoration of the Jews in the book of Revelation. The best way to interpret the Bible is is what we already started the class, a normal literal approach. That is, what we're doing is we're not spiritualizing, we're not allegorizing texts that aren't given clearly to be taken in a spiritual allegorical sense. Normal means we recognize the normal human speech patterns, language practices, syntax, grammar, all those types of things. Literal is we understand context we've already talked about this morning. Okay. So the best way to approach to the Bible is that normal literal approach. The dispensationalists would say this. Okay. There is in reality some commands, some practices are trans-dispensational. They carried on. Okay. When was marriage started? When did marriage start? In the garden of Eden. Is it still functional today? Is it promoted in the epistles? Okay. It's a trans-dispensational. When was government started? Okay, very early on where, okay, if somebody's taking life, their life shall be given. In Genesis 9, very early. Is government still valid? Is it mentioned in the New Testament is valid? Romans 13. Okay, First Peter uh, 2. So it's, some things are very trans-dispensational. They continue they're going on. Worship continues. The, mode, the method, the manner is a little bit different. But some things are trans-dispensational. The best commentary on the Bible. Do you know which one it is? You got it. Okay the very best commentary in the Bible is the Bible itself. It'll explain itself. And so as a dispensationalist we go and we say okay our first and primary and ultimate authority is the Bible. The Bible. Okay, you if if this sinks in this will make all the difference in your Bible study, your application. You won't have that confusion that says okay what about the you know what they did in the Old Testament? It's good? It gives us illustration. But the direct commands, we go to the epistles. That's where we find things. And by the way, if if the commands, they might have been stated in the Gospels. They might have even been stated in Proverbs, things like that. Most uh, most all the time, they'll be repeated in the epistles. And so that confirms that systematic approach. Okay.